0: In true form, this particular message has been uh, decided upon uh, last year, December of 2022. And I did not know that at the end of this particular retreat, um, yet again, I did not get to the last lesson that I wanted to teach. And so it's just by God's divine sovereignty and his love for us, because he loves us, that the very um, topic that is scheduled for today is very much so in line with the ones that I could not get to. Amen. Amen. So let's look at reformation through compassion. All right, all right, all right. Compassion in the definition I prefer is that it is a sympathetic, a sympathetic consciousness of others distress together with a desire to alleviate it. If you just leave it at, Sympathetic consciousness, you know, I feel bad for you. I'm so sorry that happened to you. That is not uh, compassion, all right? That's just sympathy or empathy, but it's not compassion. Compassion says not only am I sorry this happened to you, but I have a strong desire to try to alleviate the type of distress that you're in. And so as believers, when we're engaging with one another, and we had this happen quite often at the retreat, we had to implement, implement compassion. People's hearts yeah. were being turned upside down. They were being vulnerable. <laughs> and they're all shook up on the inside, and they're just trying to run around, be normal, and they can't be normal. And everybody expresses what they're going through in a different way, and some people retreat, and some people get loud, and some people get snippety. And it was just, all I can say is just be, be gentle with each other. Be gentle. Try to have a desire to alleviate your brother or your sister's distress. And that's important right because don't you like it when somebody does that for you yeah, absolutely. and i know it may be difficult at certain times but that's what we're looking at today so i hope you like it amen yeah. <laughs> exodus chapter 33 verses 18 through 19 i want to look at a form of compassion that is um the entire bible exodus 33 18 through 19 when you're there say amen Nobody? Okay. Exodus 33. <laughs> I ain't got no ad libs for you, okay? I ain't got no segues, okay? I just, I need to stick to just what I can remember, okay? Amen. Exodus 33, verses 18 through 19. Amen. And he said, Please, he being Moses, show me your glory. Jesus. Then he, being the Father, said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and i will proclaim the name of the lord before you i will be gracious to whom i will be gracious and i will have compassion on whom i will have compassion this particular in- engagement with moses and god um, upon the, the 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 preparation of the exodus of the children of israel um, out of pharaoh's camp into the wilderness Is where Moses is so enthralled with knowing Yahweh that he wants to say show me show me your face show me show me the thing that defines who you are you know I see it I see it but now I want to see you face to face right and he tells him I will I'll go with you my presence will go with you Uh, my goodness shall pass before you um, and I will be gracious I'm gonna show you and declare to you the name of the Lord now the person saying this is the Lord and I will declare to you the name of the Lord, right? He says, and I will have compassion on whom I'd have compassion on. The idea that Moses is saying, show me your glory, is such a prophetic request that it took over 6,000 years for that to be fulfilled. Wow. And let's, let's look, at, let's look at, at this a little bit more. Because God says, I will have compassion, but I'm only going to have compassion on whoever I want. Hello? It don't mean he don't feel bad, but he does not have a strong desire after feeling bad to alleviate your distress. Hello? Like you know, if if someone offended you, right? And they apologize, you say yes, and they say, I'm just so tore up about the fact that I did this, and you're like, yes, and I apologize, you're like, yes. And you feel at that moment just apologizing, accepting an apology is sufficient. You don't desire it any further, to go any further in trying to alleviate their distress unless you can see that that apology in action was sincere, right? Um, There are times where people apologize and I'll say, it's fine. And they apologize again and I'll say, no, it's fine. And then I can see in their heart that they are so overwhelmed by their own mistake that I began to tear up. And I don't know what to tell you other than, it's all right, I'm okay. We're fine, let that go. And there's strong desire to alleviate your stress because of what mistakes you've made becomes a priority even to the one that you offended, hello? During the retreat, we talked about that everything and every aspect of God's creation under the sun is all about sex. It's all about intimacy and the type of intimacy that produces, all right? Yeah. And it's from the, the beginning to the end. A couple of weeks ago, we learned that the Song of Songs, or the Song of Solomon, In the original pentateuch was at the front before genesis uh rabbis saying that it is best that you read all of the bible from the context of the song of songs from the context of a lover and another lover pursuing them one another that they would put it there so that you could read what god is saying from that perspective does that make sense but then we don't have our bible don't it's not set up that way right and we don't know that there was a context to which we were supposed to put every scripture in and it wasn't necessarily just salvation but it was one of love right and of compassion and that was very important there's a scene in the song of songs something i shared with mcdallas <clears throat> There's a, sing, a scene in the song of songs which is a collection of poems in the bible where a woman sees her lover whom she calls her beloved and he's coming toward her this is song of songs somewhere around the uh, second chapter and he, she says, The voice of my beloved, behold, he comes, leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, he stands behind our wall. He's looking through the windows, gazing through the lattice. My beloved spoke and said to me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away with me. For lo, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of singing has come. The voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree puts forth her fig, her green figs, and the vines with tender grapes. Oh, my dove, give a good smell. Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away with me. Oh, my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the secret place of the cleft, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. Let's stop there for a second. So if this is uh, about a lovers at the time of, of the Song of Songs, these two individuals are probably teenagers because people got young, got married real young, all right? And so you got this young boy going to his girlfriend's house, all right, his betrothed house, and he, he sneaks over the wall because she stays with her folks, do you understand? He sneaks over the wall. He goes to her, climbs through the lattice, peers through, and says, hey, Come away with me. Let's just leave all this behind. Let's let go of all of this with a life that you knew, and I want you to come away with me. Die to yourself. Let go of what's comfortable. Hello? And come where I I want us to go. Let us us start our lives together. And he tries to entice her to say, the season of new beginnings is here, and it's here for us to enjoy. Let us enjoy it together. Because even though you can, you know that you love God and he's your lover of your soul, you are still unsure about if this is still winter yeah. or if this is new life. You understand? Is this more of the same or is this actually a new beginning? Hello? Yeah, yeah. So he's trying to convince this woman of his life to, to come. Let's now, let's go get married. Let's leave together. Leave your folks' house and let's go. And her response to him, to make it brief, is, I just got into bed. I just washed my hair, all right? I just got things settled. Don't act surprised, okay? Because when the Lord came for you, you said, but I just need to do this. I just need to get this right. I just need to handle that. I just need to get this ready. I just need to clean myself up first. Or I just got this new job. Or I just got this new place. And, and I can't afford to be all dedicated to God right now. I got responsibilities. And as soon as a sentence comes out of her mouth, you can tell that she is regretful of it. And she, she can't take the words back, but she leaps up. She says, that is my beloved's voice. I do love him. I don't know what I was thinking. Told him I had a headache. I don't have a headache. Yes, let's go. Yes, let's go away together. Let's make it happen. So she puts on her clothes and she rushes to the door only to find that he is gone. He left. He extended his love to her and she rejected it. Everybody knows how painful that is. Ain't nothing you could do to get around that type of hurt. When you finally tell somebody, I'm ready to give you my all, and they be like, eh, no thank you. It creates a break in your heart that makes you question who you are. Like, does my breath stink? What, what happened here? Especially if I thought you was giving me the vibes, you know? You get you giving me the look, you know? I'm like, eh, hey, I'll give you the look back. And, and then you be like, suck your mind left. What? You just like attention dang it i got caught up with one of them right he reminds her that this is a time of new beginnings let's go and she says she's just too comfortable where she is and then she realizes that's not the right answer that i really do love him she comes to herself to her right mind and goes to the door he's not there and then after that for several chapters all she's doing is looking for her lover She's going in the street, she's going up and down everywhere she can find, have you seen my lover? Have you seen him? If you see him, tell him that I want him. Tell him that I'm sorry. Tell him that I shouldn't have said it. Hello? The Bible begins by making people who have freedom to make sure they have freedom to love God or not to love God. If you put the Song of Songs in the beginning and then you go to Genesis and he creates man, he gives man the ability to choose whether they will love him or love themselves. Will you, will you love me enough to not touch what I made and I also made you? And te- If I tell you I made it and I tell you don't touch it, would you love me enough to not touch it? Or when you find that it benefits you, would you touch it anyway? Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. When you find that this will give, give you something good, would you do it anyway, right? So the entire New Testament, I mean Old Testament, opens up with the idea that God extends his love to his lover, comes and says, I'm going to put you in an eternal garden, like spring, every day. And me and you, we're going to just stay here in this spring-like garden called Eden, and we're going to love on each other. Me, you, all three of us, it's just going to be just a copesthetic kind of situation. <laughs> and Satan comes in and says, well, you know you can have it a little bit better if. And deceives and says, well, you're not going to surely die, you know. And so from this, you can tell that Began the idea, because you know the end of the story, Eve ate, similar to how the the, the Shunammite woman said, "Um, I'm too busy, I'm too tired, I'm too settled. And from that point on, it would appear as if through sacrifices, the slaying of lambs, sheep, and goats, that we are trying to do whatever we could do to find him, to be in his presence again to sacrifice lamb, sheep, goats, whatever I gotta do just so I could sit in your presence again. And it's a hunger and a search for this, right? And so she keeps searching for this dude and cannot find him, right? Of course, at the end of the story, they get back together because that's what real love stories do. I can't stand love stories when they don't end happy. Who wants that slop? Pay my money to be sad. I don't want reality. I watch this for fantasy. I know, real, I know reality of rejection. I don't want to watch it. And we see this idea that when she finally realizes that I should go with him, He's already felt rejected and this is the epitome of how god feels as the not only were they rejected him in the garden of eden but as mankind continued to grow collectively they began to reject god the father do you understand where yahweh began to say in his heart that he he pained that he even made man see that's what the, what old historic writers did in the bible that we don't do now anymore is they wrote to say that God had feelings and what they're trying to say that he wished that he relented I wish I never made man he's saying I wish I never met you the kind of pain you caused in my life the kind of hurt and all I wanted to do was love you I wish I never met you but he don't gonna say met he gonna say made because that's what happened I wish I never made you right I gave you a choice, I was so excited, I gave you my all, anything you wanted, and you still rejected me. It was never enough, you gotta have some more, something else. And it broke his heart. It broke his heart. How many people have ever been there? Yes, it is devastating. And to recognize that God has those feelings because that's where you got your feelings from is what you need to know about him. Because too often we make him some type of ATM machine, some type of equation to get what you need. Sometimes a a set of rules, sometimes a mystical being just hovering over you, mocking your wrongdoing. It was always about love and relationship. And then he took the risk. Of crossing over, one author says, crossing over that big divide in the gymnasium in high school or middle school and going to ask the girl on the other side, do you want to dance? That's hard to do. We, guys don't have to do that no more. It's like, I'm going to ask you before we get there. You want to go with me to the, to the, so I won't be embarrassed. Tell me now. All right, so when we, when I'm coming in, you over there, don't, don't do me down bad. We said when we got here, you know. It takes a lot of guts for a man to do something like that. And in the middle school, that's where that kind of stuff starts. Do you have the guts it takes to walk all the way across the gym? Do you want to dance with me? And her friend's like, "Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god!" He's like, "No! Ah, I can't do it!" And he's standing over like, "Guess that's a no." And he has to walk back to where all his homeboys are. And now if you're like, dang, she got you! Oh my God! Oh my God! Oh boo! <laughs> I mean. I mean. This begins man's understanding of the risk of rejection, but it goes to say that God Himself experienced it first. He He let you do it to Him first before you ever had it. Experienced it. Hello Uh uh-huh so this means that we have a god that feels that responds that hurts that feels and fills with pain a grieving god and what is the source of his grief us we are the source of his grief a voluntary creation something he just chose to make from his own love become the ultimate source of his frustration and distress and we be like you need to let me in the heaven ha, 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 ha. do I do I well how come God gonna take take good people away good people uh-huh you ain't nothing but drama yeah. drama no I don't want to live in eternity with you drama well, you're not right if you don't let me. I'm not right. I, you, can see the, you can see how the argument is going. There. I'm not right. I'm not right because I don't want to spend the rest of the eternity with you, with your little down bad self. Always oh, opportunistic. Oh, manipulative self. I, I'm not. Oh, 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 I'm the bad guy because I know this is a dumb idea. <laughs> you're talking good. Why would God send good people? Ain't none of us good. And it's clearly obvious that the people that's not going to go to heaven are the people that rejected him continually and never stopped. Because he is a God that then pursues. He pursued you and kept pursuing you. And by the time it's time for you to judgment day, you take your last breath, either he pursued you and you accept it, yeah. or he kept pursuing you in ways that you knew he was pursuing you and you kept rejecting his, his offers. And naturally nobody wants to spend eternity with somebody that consistently rejects them. Yeah. They don't. Right? right? People people made God grieve and we made him grieve because he gave us the ability to love anybody anybody that we choose do you understand that he said I'm gonna let you choose to love anybody you want to love and I love I like how young adults be like well maybe sometimes you can't choose it no no as we discussed if you feel like you can't help who you love then that's lust because love is a choice it's a choice. I'm, he said, I'm gonna give man a choice to love me for real and let's see what they do with it. And some people say, psych your mind, and other people say, let's do it. And that's the whole shebang. Yes? God takes this giant risk in creating and loving people, and in the process of God's in the process, God's heart is broken. Again and again and again. Divine heartbreak keeps occurring because we profess that we love him, we come running back, and then we reject him over and over and over. For some, this is an entirely new perspective on God. Many of the popular images that we see, we show him as a warrior, a creator, a judge, a system of theology, a set of absolute truths, a father, and the writer of our owner's manual. But we don't see him as a God that has real feelings. I mean, feelings like you have them, like rage, like rejection, like hurt. So many people say, I know I shouldn't feel this way, but I can't help it. I said, no, you, you can feel that way. Feel that way. That's why he gave it to you. Yeah. Now that feeling does something. And what you let that feeling do will determine the sin, not the idea that you had it. That's good, Pastor. Right? That's good. Now, think about this. If you were God, right, and you first you came up, and you approached your lover, and it was all nice and sweet, and they said no, right? and then he said i want to pursue you even still okay i'm gonna come back and reintroduce myself to you right maybe the maybe the nice garden thing was a flop all right it was, it was a flop so let me re, re, let me find a new way to reintroduce myself even though you've offended me or rejected me i'm still going to find ways to pursue you right now if you were god not to say that any of us could ever be yes if you were god and you wanted to show your people your real self, and how much you love them, right? If you were really wanted to show it, you wanted to move toward your own people and you wanted to express your love for the world in a new way, how would you do it? Because if you showed up in your power, if you showed up in your control, and if you showed up in your might, you'll scare everybody off. He was like, oh, you rejected me in Eden? Now you come to find me again, come deliver us, set us free. He like, oh yeah, you about to get all this today. What do you want? <laughs> Don't you take another step further. Don't you come in my house. I ain't fooling up with you no more. And it's just, and everybody, ah, Moses, go talk to him for us. We can't handle it. We can't take it no more. Jewish rabbis uh, indicate that the first two commandments are stated by God himself, that you shall not have any other God before me. And after the first two the running uh, consensus is they couldn't handle that much power or authority, and it frightened them so much that Moses wrote the rest of them. <laughs> 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 he, he was trying to talk to you the first two, yeah. and we were like, oh, my God. And you ain't going to have another God before me. And what you ain't going to do, you ain't going to do it. They were like, okay, you know what? I just I can't, I can't, I can't handle this. Yeah. Yeah. So Moses said, and thou shalt not. <laughs> and thou shall not. And thou shall not. And the idea here is that you have a lover scorned because you committed adultery and even though he loves you there's new boundaries and limits that have been implemented within your relationship y'all don't want to help me today and you're going to have a problem with the boundaries and limits of thi- of our new relationship when you were the one that broke it what's the new boundaries you want to let me tell you something you're going to take this sheet now i want the best one i don't want a little raggedy one off to the side i want the best one you got to, to sacrifice that sheep you got to, to take the, you understand what I'm saying and this is kind of where the, this is kind of where the analogy goes, right So if you showed up in your power you would scare, scare everybody off right? right They would hear your voice trembling on a mountain and the earth start quaking and they realize that I would have messed with the wrong one so come on ladies you know when you you do really push whoa whoa that was not the right button to push on that one okay, he's got a button there we're going back on up. And if you don't do that, you are a fool. You probably have many black eyes in your day, and that's quite, no, it's it's not all right. It's not all right, it's not all right. It's not all right, it's not all right. It's not all right. So how would you express your love? How would you express your love in an ultimate way? How do you connect with the people that you love in a manner that wouldn't scare them off? How do you try to connect that, if I connect you, I can draw you closer rather than run you away from me? you would need to strip yourself of all the trappings that come with ultimate power and authority. Wow. You would, if, you had, if you were God and you now you had to reach a people and you really wanted to connect with them now, you cannot show up as da-dun-da-dun dun, 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 because we are like, oh my God, we've fallen and now we don't really have that connection and I hear you're showing up with no connection and you're all of this. Moses, we cannot bear to hear it. You just go for us. So then Christ comes along as the expressed image of God, having stripped away all the, the idea of his ultimate power, all the idea of his ultimate authority that he could really connect with his people. And you see that because he be hanging out with all the riffraff. He, people get on him like he like, oh, let's go, what a, what a, what a prostitutes at? That sounds like a lit party. What? You know where the bartenders at? With them tax collectors, huh? Be, be showing up to the lepers. Oh, man, y'all real sick. Here, let me touch it. you aren't supposed to touch it. It's all right. It's all right. Let me see. Oh, oh you got healed. There you go. <laughs> he engrossed himself around people that needed to feel connected. Wow. Because people that are well don't need to feel connected. People that are whole don't need to feel connected. People that are, are good don't need to feel connected. I'm going to put myself around people that feel like they don't, don't have a connection with anybody. That they've lost it," he says, and this is who I'm going to be around. So when he does strip himself of authority and power, he doesn't run in the circles of all the religious. He starts going wherever real people are, right? People that really want connection. They really want it because they're tired of not having that type of love. Jesus' entire life on earth was about stripping away, a uh, stripping away of his power and control on earth. Jesus always chose. As the expressed image of God, with power stripped as the Son of man, Son of God, he always shows the path of love rather than the path of power. That's good. He always shows the path of compassion. He always shows the path of love. That's why Jesus says, "I am the what?" Way." Mhm. Now when he does this, he begins to hint. He begins to hint at the idea that while he's, he's no longer choosing the path of power, and all the religious elite of his day are very power hungry, right? And he's healing people and setting people free. And they could only think because they are power hungry that all he's trying to do is assume more power. So that starts making them intimidated and scared. You understand? Because people would definitely claim that you are doing something you ain't doing because that's what they've been doing the whole time. And they feel like you are about to outdo them on the kind of mess that they've been doing to you ain't nobody doing that mess to you that's what you're doing to me now you now you think i'm doing it to you you're afraid that i might be better at doing mess to you i don't even won't mess with you so because he doesn't choose the power but he walks in the path of love of humility i mean real low going to the bottom of the social class it would appear he begins to hint at the idea that there's going to be conflict with this because the people of power are going to feel scared by this person, this power of love that is still gaining momentum and it has nothing to do with his authority. That he's gaining a following. That's not because of laws, rules and regulations. You understand that he's gaining the hearts and this is where Satan is messed up because when Christ came down, it's still the choice. Will you choose me or choose yourself? And when Christ shows his love, Satan gets angry and is upset because he wants everyone to not choose this path because it looks weak. And there are some weaknesses that are actually strong, and Christ is revealing that. And so now everybody is being threatened in his, in Jesus' day, just as Satan's kingdom is being threatened, that more people are coming into belief of Christ coming into the kingdom and it's not because he's got a whole bunch of laws. Wash your hands, don't do that, don't do this. You know, bow down three times, turn this way. But just out of pure relationship, I love what you're saying. I love the how you came to reach me, came to heal me, came to see about my family. Yeah. Let me let's let's rock together. And he says, I do want to rock with you. Yeah. See it's different than just come to my house and give me and make me a charity case. Y'all don't want to help me today. It's different if you say, Well, how much food do you need? And here, let me help you with some money. And here, let me give you that. But then when you do that and they say, Well, thank you so much, you'd be like, Well, can we hang out? You want to hang out with me? Because people are quick to say, Well, I'll let you go. I know you're very busy. You know, you're the only one, you have to give me this money, and I don't have no money, so you must be a very busy person. So I'll go ahead and let you go. And she says, I don't want to go nowhere. I came here for you. And when I came here for you, I recognized you had a need. And the need that you had, I recognize I can feel. But I came here pursuing you, my lover. I came here looking for you, my beloved. I came here just for you. So he hinted to the idea that there's gonna have to be some conflict. This thing is not gonna go well. As we read in the gospels, we find Jesus's message putting him more and more in conflict with the religious and political leaders of his day. His threatening, He's threatening power. He's threatening their power. That is what love does. It threatens the, the empires of power and control and wealth and manipulation. The things that Satan uses to build his kingdom, the idea of love threatens that. And it seems so odd that something so soft, something so meek, Something so mild can take down whole establishments and principalities and rulers of darkness, and it's just love. So eventually, he's arrested. And they put on some sort of trial at which he's asked to perform some miracles, and he refuses. Knowing that if he displayed his miraculous abilities, it would not be the true path that he's on. Like, if you need to know who I am by giving you a miracle, then that's not what my way was all about. Y'all don't want to help me today. I wasn't here to establish my power and authority by demand. I was here to establish my power and authority through love. I can show you some miracles, but what I'm getting ready to do is die on this cross. What I'm getting ready to do is suffer, because I don't need the authority. I came here for you. I don't need the power, I came here for you, hello? Woo-wee. He's eventually beaten, flogged. When he doesn't fight back, he's mocked, and he doesn't say anything in return. He's hung on a cross and says, I am thirsty. Christ reveals a weakness that is not really a weakness. He knows exactly what he's doing, that there is a weakness that is truly weakness and that has nothing else to do with what he's doing. I know this is one, a quote from an author. He says, no depth, no intention, no greater purpose. But Jesus is intentional in what he is doing. His vulnerability is for a purpose. There is a weakness that is actually strength, and there is a strength that is actually weakness. There are times when you offer your heart to someone that you already know has the propensity to be very cruel. Where you take down when you know that they're going to think you're weak. Right? You humble yourself, and they're going to think that they can get away with it. And what Christ is trying to instill is that there is a strength in that that would destroy the powers of darkness over that person's life if you could so engage. Amen? Amen. This type of strength that's not really a strength and the strength that really is a strength is similar to a parent who yells at their children. And holds them accountable for all sorts of random tasks that they were supposed to have known to do and who allows their mood to dictate the mood of the whole house. Anybody ever seen that? This is a a, a parent using a power and a strength that is not really a strength because it's coming from a weakness. You're dictating and making rules and, and, and fussing and arguing about things and these are just children, right? But because you have power and authority, they have to listen to you. But it's not real power because this is only being displayed because you don't have any real power. Because it takes real power when some kid does something that you don't give everything you have for and they flat out tell you, the kid should tell. It takes real power to say, now let's eat for di- let's eat dinner. It takes real power that when your day was crappy and your life is falling apart, that you come home and you put on a good face and you have a kind disposition and you, and you have patience with your kids. That takes far more strength than just yelling at folk because you can't. Yes. Now you change the whole mood of the house. Hello? Hello? Mm? If you visit me, you got a good five minutes to change your mood or disposition because you're gonna have to leave you are not changing the mood of my house and I flat out tell you you need to get yourself together I said something you didn't like something's going on you didn't like that's fine now get yourself together because you got five minutes it's my house you don't come to my house changing my mood in my house the atmosphere in my house you take that mess back over to your house we can still talk call me on the phone when you ain't here And Jesus' vulnerability, he shows how vulnerable the strength of power and corruption really are. If you think that you can do something with all these opportunistic and and manipulative and rules and regulations, and then his love says, now those things are so weak. But with this type of love, people will die for Christ. That's how strong it is. And don't nobody want to die for the law? Hello? Hello? Go to Exodus again, as we close. Exodus 33, 18 through 19. And he said, Moses, please show me your glory. Then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. First Corinthians 11 and seven, something we looked at at the retreat, said for a man indeed ought to not cover his head since he is the image and what glory Glory. of God. Moses said, show me your glory. New Testament says man is the glory of who? Of God. He says, "So what I'm going to show you is I'm going to let my loving kindness and my compassion pass before you." What he saw was Jesus passing before him. Never saw his face. All he saw was a man and the hind side of that man. You want to know my glory? This. You are my glory. This is what. This is what I love. This is the best thing that ever happened to me. This is my glory. You. just like a wife is the glory of her husband. He comes home proud and goes out to work proud. God says, you wanted my glory is this. Look at this, look at this, look at my babies. Look how lovely they are. He said, that's my glory, but they look dirty. Okay, see, don't worry about that. Okay, because, okay, the one I'm showing you is the one that did it, did, did, did it right, okay? he the one that did it right? It says, they, then they all gonna be, shut up. Shut up. By the time we get married, she gonna be spotless. Standing all over the house.